0: Hello party people and welcome back to you scared of this the final countdown <laughs> now i need a scary version <laughs> is it a is it a shitty tuba version of final countdown or is it like an energetic 80s version of the are you afraid of the dark theme song
1: no it's a shitty tuba version of the final countdown
0: <laughs> hello and welcome to you scared of this a show where two old motherfuckers watch old television my name is eli phillips and with me as always is my best friend david hello party people the motherfucker
1: uh i'm david dykus i'm one of your hosts and you know eli it was almost exactly four years ago that we began our journey to review and evaluate all 91 episodes of are you afraid of the dark did you ever imagine back then that we'd be here reviewing episode 92 (laughs) You know, when we
0: first started this podcast, <laughs> I never once entertained the thought that us doing so would trigger this chain of events.
1: I know, we, we did this. You're welcome, America. Um,
0: we're going to be reviewing the Are You Afraid of the Dark reboot miniseries,
1: and um, no matter what they do after that, goddammit, we're done. This is definitely it for me. This is the end of my my long journey through podcasting.
0: I'm actually just, I figured out what I'm going to do. If they do reboot the series, or if they do come out with a movie, I've secretly spent the last four years re-listening to every episode of our show. I'm sorry. And then just trying to recite your lines exactly like you.
1: <laughs> well, the first thing you do is stick a bunch of marbles in your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Between
0: impressions and deep fakes, I think I can just continue this show as a one-man, two-host operation.
1: You know what? I give you my blessing. <laughs> I give you my blessing <laughs> to steal my identity and continue this show in perpetuity, as long as I don't have to edit it anymore. Right. I'm rebooting David Dykes. Anyway, the, the day is finally here. The day that our, our entire podcast has kind of been building up to. The Are You Afraid yep. of the Dark revival, which, correct me if I'm wrong, was announced earlier this year in 2019, after the Are You Afraid of the was Dark it? movie just kind of disappeared and was dropped yeah, what from a schedule
0: thing right so the movie was being made by paramount right and this series is being made by nickelodeon with an entirely different group of people so it's not like the paramount thing became this necessarily
1: right I, my understanding is that no this is its own thing the paramount thing is just is just in development hell if you'll remember the movie was supposed to be releasing this right
0: now this month uh yeah like on the same day as the adams family cartoon movie which looks terrible all these failed promises
1: if paramount so canceled anyway, the sorry friend of the dark movie because they were afraid of competing with the adams family cgi <laughs> with the adams family getting the despicable me treatment then i have lost all respect for paramount paramount
0: is just like deeply feeling the i've made a huge mistake gif from arrested development <laughs>
1: but but regardless so anyway, we... here we are this is what we wound up with. We are, we are now blessed with a three-part TV reboot, and tonight we are talking about part one, entitled, Submitted for Approval. What a great title. And this episode was written by Ben David Grabinski and was directed by Dean Israelite. I believe it was the first episode for both of them. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> This episode uh, originally aired in Nickelodeon October 11th, 2019, which feels very weird to say, Uh, but it dropped on YouTube a few days earlier on October the 9th, which feels even weirder to say, which is how we watched it. So uh, should we dive right in? Let's let's get through this. Just to clarify for the listeners, these episodes are a bit longer than I mean, I say a bit longer. They're twice as long (laughs) as the old episodes. This episode was 45 minutes long. So we are going to get Mm -hmm. through it uh, pretty briskly here. Uh, We'll see about that. Well, (laughs) we begin. (laughs) So in our opening sequence here, our cold cold open, uh, we see a nameless young woman wandering through a very Are You Afraid of the Dark setting, a big, dimly lit building filled with fog and shadow and dramatic lighting. Did you get a real,
0: uh, what was the episode with (laughs) Goth? The the magician's assistant? Not magician's magician's assistant. assistant,
1: sorcerer's apprentice.
0: Yeah, so we've got a lot of, like, intense colors and shadows and Dutch angles, uh, very much like when he is running through, like, the school basement at night or whatever in that episode. The lighting is dramatic. The sound is dramatic. Uh, This is a very intense series of shots of a young female protagonist wandering through what looks like a school. There are even school desks at night, and she seems to be
1: chased by... A circus man? (laughs) She is being chased. She's being stalked through this building and is eventually confronted by a man who looks somewhere between, like, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker and Hugh Jackman's Greatest Showman. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say Slender Man
0: and the Greatest Showman, but yours is also true. (laughs) He poses a lot like Joaquin Phoenix on the stairwell now that I think about it.
1: Yeah, (laughs) Yes, she's being stalked by Mister Top Hat through this surreal school/slash circus setting. And as soon as he's about to get her, she wakes up. Turns out it was all a dream, or was it? Camera pans outside, and there is the greatest jokeman uh, with two <laughs> creepy little moppets at his side, standing under a street lamp. When Cheyenne
0: watched that moment, like the girl wakes up and then the camera pans outside and he's standing there, Cheyenne actually audibly gasped.
1: <laughs> i mean it's pretty creepy he's now surprised that she gasped <laughs> he's now confirmed as some sort of like freddy krueger style dream monster and also a potential like child abductor mm-hmm, 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 all of which are accurate and from there we cut to our new opening sequence what did you think of this I didn't hate this. This is a different take on the Are You Afraid of the Dark opening. We get a lot of the classic imagery of, you know, the boat in the—in the pool of water and the creepy sweet set.
0: Uh, yeah, the clown has been replaced with Mr. Top Hat, and that's the only sort of piece of imagery that isn't a reference to the original, right?
1: Yeah, I noticed the absence of the clown. I assume it was cut for being too scary. <laughs>
0: Well, there is, there's like a guy on stilts, and then there is Mr. Top Hat,
1: and then there is the new logo with the hand holding the match. They they didn't fuck with the theme song, which was my greatest concern, and we'll talk about music more as this, as this review goes on. Uh, but no, I like this new opening. It, it hit all the right notes. Pardon the pun. Post-opening sequence, we are introduced to our main young protagonist, Rachel Carpenter. Rachel, Rachel is... Uh, being woken up by her overly
0: enthusiastic mom, who basically gives us a shit ton of exposition by reminding Rachel that she needs to get up because it is is her first day at a new school, and she is the new kid, and she gets to reinvent herself. Please try to make friends this time.
1: This was, yeah, this was definitely an exposition dump, but it was handled pretty tastefully, we'll say. Uh, I also love the the premise here a classic are you afraid of the dark story setup of new kid moving yeah. with their single parent to a, a small town
0: yeah uh, absolutely uh rachel and her mom are walking out to the car so their mom can drive her to school and she meets her neighbor uh gavin gavin is a handsome young man the mom says that he looks like that timothy Chalamet.
1: i mean that young man was a real timothy Chalamet. did i say that name right no it's Chalamet. I mean, he looks like he could be the love interest in a teen romance movie, doesn't he? Mom!
0: Who is she referencing here? Timothy Chalmay is an actor. He was in, I believe, Call Me By Your Name. You're more in touch with the youth culture than I am. I had no idea who this was. This is an actual pop culture reference that they're making uh, when the mom swoons over the young
1: man. Oh, God, I don't like it. But yeah, we're introduced to super hunk gavin next door as as rachel is on her way to school we get a really interesting piano
0: song right as she's approaching the school that sounds like uh it sounds like something from the decemberists
1: there is a shit ton of licensed music in this in this special way more than i was expecting in the first six minutes i think we hear at least three or four like not pop songs but you know like real songs like not just score
0: yeah, right. and not like stock songs. The song that plays when she yeah, walks out of her, is her not house the is something like,
1: like 90s, you know, <laughs> fake guitar riffs. Fake guitar music, yeah, that we were used to in the old series. These are like real songs. And then when she
0: is going into the school and her mom's telling her, hey, try to make friends this time. And she's like, mom, you know, I don't know how to make friends. Thanks for making me feel awkward by <laughs> cheerleading me, but I'm an awkward Thanks for kid. dumping that
1: exposition, mom.
0: yeah. Uh, as that's happening, we meet our third young protagonist, Graham, who walks off the bus to a weird ska monster mash song about a guy who gets invited to a party by
1: Igor. This is my favorite song in in the, this is my favorite (laughs) rock song in the entire episode. I don't know what this was, but I like it. It's (laughs) so good. It fits him perfectly. Hey, mic check, one, two. Guys, I apologize for how I sound on this episode. There was a, an audio snafu on my part, so I sound weird. Anyway, I'm just popping in to say that this song is a real song called Igor's Party by Tony and the Monstrosities. Uh, and it turns out it predates the Monster Mash by two years. It came out in 1960. Uh, just throwing that out there, I love this song. Throw it on at your next Halloween party. Back to the show. We meet Graham. Graham. Uh, who is sporting a homemade t-shirt that says, watch horror movies. I I love everything
0: about Graham's character. We should mention he's played by the kid from It. Um, I can't remember his name, but like the the new kid in the Losers Club. Uh, and he does a fine job. He is the sort of like weirdo horror enthusiast at this school. And he is also the first member of our, I mean, it's not a spoiler to say, he's the first member of our Midnight Society to sort of discover Rachel. So when she
1: walks into school, she meets a kid named Andrew. Is it? She meets a kid named Adam, who is this awkward gangly kid. We'll we'll call him the Dykus of the group who, who attempts to strike up conversation with her later. She tries to awkwardly introduce herself to the classroom. It doesn't go well. But Graham does a little bit of detective work, we'll say. Oh,
0: she, actually, uh, we've got uh, an important moment here, because when she notices his shirt that says, watch horror movies, he says, yeah, I love horror movies. And she says, have you seen the changeling? And he says, have I seen the changeling? Wait, have you seen the changeling? Is that a reference to Jake and the Leprechaun?
1: I wondered about that. I kept racking my brain to think a... what, what episode it was where they talk about a changeling. But is I that think it... crap in the background enough? I think it may be. We'll,
0: we'll count it. So Graham takes note of the fact that she watches horror movies and then he notices that she has skull earrings in. And then he notices that she's drawing a creepy dude in a top hat. And Graham is is very impressed by all of this. Uh, we get a little bit of like character development for him because she throws her drawing away and he wants it as evidence. So he has to dig it out of the trash. And this is where we learn that he is a major germaphobe. Real because quick. Because he freaks
1: out. This, yeah. this scene is shot from within the trash can looking up at him. <laughs> Speaking of references to previous episodes, was this a yeah. reference to the one episode where it's shot from the toilet and it looks like the kid's about to whip it out? It's super specs. I believe, yeah, yeah that was super specs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it has to be a reference to that, right? I mean, probably not, but i like to imagine it is. Anyway, yeah. yes, uh, Graham does some detective work, fishes out the drawing, much to his chagrin, and sees that it is a, it is a drawing of Mr. Top Hat before
0: we get to the point where he take uh, he takes this to the midnight Society members and he shows it to them and tries to convince them to let Rachel in uh, and, and that's going to lead into our next scene. But before we get to that, I kind of want to rewind because there are two things that have happened here that annoy me and we can talk about them more at the end. I just want to address them really quickly. In this opening we've met three we've met four kids we've met Rachel, we've met Gavin, we've met Graham and we've met Adam. And of the four of them, We know traits about uh, three of them now. We know that Rachel is bad at making friends. We know that Graham is a germaphobe. And we know that Adam is awkward and not good at talking. He says so himself. In these scenes, Adam approaches a stranger and talks to her. And then, like, lets her sit with him at lunch. Rachel says she's bad at making friends. And she strikes up, like, pretty good banter with both of these guys. And Graham is a major germaphobe who digs stuff out of the trash. This is like a rare, very annoying to me. (laughs) Like they're like, oh, all of these kids have to have personality traits and we have to make them like very overt so that people can identify with them or like remember interesting things about these kids. But then they just subvert all of them. Like, why do these things if you're not going to actually make them matter in any way? Especially Rachel's. Rachel feels the most artificial, the whole, like, she can't make friends, but she's a great artist who's good at banter and is, like, willing to talk to anyone and sit with strangers. It feels like if they wanted to make her bad at making friends, they should have just given her the traits that they gave to these other two characters, right? Like, she should have been a germaphobe and she should have been bad at conversations, but she's not. She's not a germaphobe and she's great at conversations, And there's literally nothing about her.
1: You can't do that with a main character, though. You can't make them too off-putting or
0: weird. It's just it like, it's bad writing because I, and we can talk about this more at the end and I'm sorry for bringing it up now, but I know that what's happening here is they're creating this false conflict where she doesn't know how to make friends so that at the end of this, she will have bonded with the Midnight Society and overcome her inability to make friends. But she's like literally instantly making friends with the first people she meets. She's making like very important bonds with them immediately. And so unless the the plot point here is that she doesn't realize she's good at making friends, it feels really artificial and so this was like the first thing in the whole show that actually bugged me so you're um, like you're, this was... you're accusing
1: her of being a fake nerd girl uh, not a no
0: i she's definitely a nerd girl she's seen the changeling but <laughs> she's she's definitely like a fake introvert or whatever um anyway uh, all three of their like artificial character traits bugged me but that's fine uh Graham takes her drawings he does a kind of stalkery thing where he steals one of her drawings out of the trash and then he like leans over her shoulder and photographs the other one when she's not looking and they comment on the fact that it's weird of him to do this and that it's stalkery and they kind of make a joke out of it but it's still stalkery Um, but we see him go around to two other kids he goes to I'm sorry I've missed this girl's name is it Lauren is that the cheerleader Laura
1: once he has acquired the drawing, we get a quick montage of him showing it to various people through the school. We meet Louise, who is a cheerleader. He talks to her briefly. We meet, uh, what is the other? Akiko. Akiko. The introduction to Akiko is actually pretty funny because we suddenly smash cut to a zombie. <laughs> it yeah, turns out yeah. she is making some sort of amateur zombie film. She is a director. and I, I, I simultaneously liked and did not like Akiko's introduction.
0: We can talk about that more at the end as well. Uh, I think those are the only two that we get introduced to through Graham, right? We don't see any, him with anyone else, do we?
1: Correct. But Graham approaches both of them and says, "Oh, she's this. She's into horror, and she's a great artist. I think she. I think we should invite her, or something to that effect." And then we get a scene that I really like. I love everything
0: that comes after this. This builds on the mythology of the Midnight Society in a way that the original didn't. Like part of what made the original series so good was when they would bring in new members or whatever. You get these, like, small snippets of how the Midnight Society works over the course of seasons of the show. But here we're actually seeing an induction happen starting at the school, which I didn't realize how cool that would be. Uh, But basically, Rachel goes to her locker and finds that someone has put a wax-sealed, hand-typed piece of parchment, like, shoved it through the vents in her locker, and she has to answer a a question. They ask her,
1: What is scarier? A vampire or a werewolf? Put your answer in the wall behind the curtain in the theater classroom. P.S. Do not tell a soul about this or you will be disqualified.
0: And she says that a vampire is scarier because it is a vampire every night, but a werewolf is only only a werewolf during a full moon. She hides the note and then
1: she gets another one. This continues for the rest of the week. She finds notes in her locker asking her some sort of like spooky horror question that she is, is tasked with answering and depositing the answer in somewhere in a designated spot until finally I think I guess on Thursday she opens her locker and finds something else she finds a ragged old map covered in runes and symbols and a another note one final note that says follow the map meet us you know go to the designated spot at midnight tell no one or you're disqualified right Dykus, how did you feel about this? Did you think this was awesome? I loved this. Like, I love seeing the ritual involved in the Midnight Society. That's something that, I mean, you you touched on that a second ago. This reminded me a lot of, like, secret clubs that we would pretend to be in when we were, you know, younger. I love anything that has this kind of, like, elaborate induction ceremony. And seeing it play out, yeah. seeing exactly how the Midnight Society ticks Seeing how they they weed out potential members is fascinating because it makes you want yeah. it, it. makes you want to go back and 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 ponder if this was what the original Midnight Society members went through. I like that in the original series we don't
0: know those things and it, it was all built up in our heads for years and years and years. But now I like seeing this answer because it's totally satisfying. It builds on the mythology in a way that like I didn't need, but now I'm very happy to have it. And it like it gives new life to things that have already existed. So I'm very happy with this. Uh, Rachel sneaks out of her window at night. She follows the runes through the woods and ends up assaulted by a bunch of hooded like kids in hoodies with terrifying masks on.
1: Assaulted is a strong word. But yes, she is surrounded by and this is this was my favorite scene in the entire show. She is approached and surrounded by by a group of uh, four figures wearing hoods and the Purge-style humanoid masks and carrying enormous torches, and they throw a burlap sack over her head and lead her into the deepest, darkest part of the woods.
0: The directorial style here, the cinematography is really good. The way it, like, cuts, it hard cuts from, like, one shot to another, and the shots are very, very different, and, like, even the frame rate is different. It's it, very surreal
1: I ha- I have that in my notes as well the directing here is fantastic
0: uh but yeah so they lead her to the woods there is a campfire they have places to sit they tell her to sit down they take off the burlap sack she's faced with all of these figures and they tell her she has 24 hours to write a scary ass story and then go back to that same spot in the woods. And if she tells a good story, she's in the Midnight Society, and if she tells the bad story, then these people will disappear and never contact her again, and they tell her to tell no one. Fucking dope.
1: Fucking dope. I love the theatricality of this this version of the Midnight Society. So the next day, super hunk Gavin shows up at Rachel's door, uh, interrupts her story writing uh, to ask Rachel to walk to school, and he makes a kind of suspicious claim. He says, I saw you last night. At two in the morning. Yeah. Which so seems... she was
0: climbing back in her window at 2 a.m.
1: We'll assume he was just, like, playing Fortnite or something. Or watching porn. Sure. Like like any decent kid his age. Uh, or she... both. I like that her cover is that she says she was up partying.
0: She was I love to party. <laughs> What's Gab... up, fellow young people?
1: <laughs> Gavin probes a little deeper, asks her what she's doing, and in this conversation she finds inspiration. She... She digs down and realizes what scares her.
0: Yeah, he asks her. He's like, just write about what scares you. And she remembers her dream. And then we get a really good montage that I liked. All of those really fucking horrifying scenes from the cold open of her wandering down the stairs and a terrifying little girl and Mr. Top Hat appearing and there's flames. She remembers each of these moments and it literally just replays them even with like the audio of her being scared. And then it cuts to her... Liking that moment and being like yeah, that was fucking cool and then she's writing energetically and what I like about this moment is that we see her taking the thing that she is scared of and enjoying it and and using it as fuel and this sort of reinforces the entire midnight society philosophy of kids want to be scared and kids like to be scared because she is taking the thing that scared her And she is, like, empowered by it. And I thought that this did such a good job of of showing and not telling
1: that idea. So she writes this story. She follows the instructions. She is led back out to the designated spot by the masked figures. And she's given instructions on how to present her story. She says she has to introduce it in such or such way. And she begins her tale. The tale of Mr. Top Hat and the Carnival of Doom. And here we enter a story within a story. Rachel tells the story of a young girl, we never learn her name, who goes with her family to the Carnival of Doom. As soon as she gets there, she is taunted by a very creepy-looking carny who looks at her and doesn't appear to have any eyes, which gives uh, one of the other Midnight Society members pause. Yeah, he's like, oh my god, she didn't." Ha- the guy didn't have any eyes? And they're like, shut the fuck up. Inside the Big Top, we are very dramatically introduced to the ringleader, Mr. Top Hat, uh, and after his opening monologue, he appears beside Rachel, or beside this nameless girl, uh, much to her delight. We're told this girl likes to be scared, so she is down for anything this carnival has to throw at her. The guy who introduces Mr. Top Hat
0: is metal as fuck, he's super cool, and when he introduces Mr. Top Hat, he calls him...
1: The master of Ceremonies! King of the Carnival! Emperor of the Night! And friend to no man. <laughs> Is that what you want engraved on your tombstone now? (laughs)
0: Emperor of the night, friend of no man, the man who made and ate an omelet the size of the moon. (laughs) Uh, I loved this scene. Although I will point out that Mr. Top Hat, when he's like making sport of the whole thing and he's like appearing in the audience beside the story girl, he kisses her dad, which is not okay. He just like kisses the stranger without consent, which was the one moment in all of this where I was like, pause what are you doing mr top hat you just kissed that married man in front of his child yeah that's not uh, okay but, other th- but but he is not evil. okay but other than that it's really cool also he uh, says oh wait we gotta rewind
1: oh. one more time sorry so sorry when this ca- as soon as the parents get there and the carny lifts up his shades to reveal he has no eyeballs oh, yeah uh, we get our yeah. one and only scream take in the episode Yep, a classic Uh, scream take. Are you afraid of the dark scream take? Yep, Uh, pushes in on the face. Classic, loved it. Anyway, so this girl and her family make their way out into the carnival. As soon as they get out there, she has to uh, use the restroom. And on her way back from the presumably filthy carnival restroom, uh, she Mm -hmm. gets lost and ends up navigating her way through the trailers and the rest of how uh, working in the back. She discovers Mister. <laughs> she discovers Mister. Top Hat sitting in a chair. I have him abbreviated in my notes as Mister. T for short, which makes this. <laughs> I quick. have him as M T H, but Mister. T
0: is way better, especially because it's definitely never been used.
1: <laughs> <laughs> they, she sees Mister. Top Hat just sitting idly in a chair uh, when a scorp when a scorpion crawls out of his his pants, which could not. He have finds been one on the
0: ground. He finds the scorpion on the ground. No, it's, it's in a tiny little bowl. He has a bowl of scorpions and he picks it up and eats it.
1: Eats it alive.
0: Yeah, yeah. A big-ass scorpion. not awesome. like the little ones we have here in Texas. He It was like a fat scorpion. Yeah, and he like holds it above his head and slowly lowers it into his mouth. It's just, imagine like the T-Rex eating the goat in Jurassic <laughs> Park. It's... It's like that dramatic of a shot, of, but it's this man eating a live fucking scorpion. So he eats the scorpion, and when he does, scorpions start crawling out of his pant legs and his shirt. It's kind of like when the the bugs get under someone's skin in the mummy. Yeah, uh, yeah I yeah. liked this a lot. I did too. She runs off. Story girl runs off and runs into a couple of
1: buttheads. She, she is taunted by two girls from her school.
0: Uh, who in the story, li- they're described as the meanest girls in the school. <laughs>
1: <laughs> these mean girls she she explains to the mean girls that she just saw Mr. T devouring a scorpion and they decide they have to see this for themselves I can't say I blame them uh, they go yeah. off to look for Mr. Top Hat uh, while Rachel uh, searches for her parents the next day we are told that these two girls have gone missing It's they, it, there's a news report on it this scene is shot like
0: the tale of the computer virus when he's inside of the computer and everything is weird and surreal, like when he's at his house in the morning, it's another scene that I think is so well shot. Uh, they use like a fisheye lens when they do a close up of her mom and dad telling her that they don't remember going to a carnival and asking her if she feels okay. It's it's very nightmarish. She runs out of her house, she hops on her bike, and she like rides out to where the carnival should be, and then we get the widest fucking shot in the whole episode it's just this girl in a very like dreary looking field with nothing there and she looks like her soul has been
1: ripped out to recap she tells her parents what happened at the carnival her parents have no memory of going to a carnival and when she pedals back to it the carnival is gone as if it never existed at all and we are told that over time she forgot the experience and the two girls were never found the end the end a
0: very short story they react to it in a very season one way, where it keeps cutting to Graham freaking out. Yeah. Um, spoiler: It's Graham. We know it's Graham.
1: How did you feel about about this directorial choice to keep cutting back to the the Midnight Society? This, I, I wonder. If I that think w- it was to break tension.
0: It was used to like develop the characters and add some jokes and break the tension of of scary shit. Because like the guy with his eyes out is the most gruesome, insane thing in this episode, and then a guy eating a live scorpion is i would say the next thing so i really feel like they knew they were pushing the envelope at these moments and that they used it as a way to like pause and give everyone a breath and
1: be okay so i i didn't mind it so she concludes her story all of the the masked figures say they liked it they take their masks off and reveal their true identities and of course it is a uh, Graham, Akiko, Louise, and
0: Gavin. She's surprised by Gavin. She was utterly convinced that the fourth one was going to be Adam. Um,
1: but no, it's it's hot boy Gavin. It's a twist. And they share a sweet moment. She is admitted into the Midnight Society. <laughs> th- okay, so quick thing to note here. There is no stone thrown around this campfire. Yeah. Instead, yeah. we have a series of just big stumps onto which all the members have carved their initial... And so they mm-hmm. hand her a knife and she is tasked with, with claiming her stumps and she's now a member. She starts carving this is a stupid aside. When she was carving her name with the wood, it cuts to everyone else's initial to show that this is a thing. I wanted to cut back to her and she's carved the S symbol into hers. <laughs>
0: And she's like, pretty good. What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Like We should have, sh- we should have showed her R's first instead of just handing her a knife and not explaining what she was supposed to do. <laughs> it devolves into them going, how did we all know to carve our initials? <laughs> she, she, and and she, then grandma's like, oh, I didn't. I drew the S on mine also. And he turns his upside down and the S is on the bottom. And he's like, I came back and carved
1: the G later.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> but no, she, she carves an R. And so they all go home, she uh, she leaves with Gavin, and we get a, like you said, a kind of sweet character moment with him, where we learn a little bit about him. We learn that he supports the Knicks, even though he lives in a state with a decent basketball team, I don't understand why. And talks about why he likes the Midnight Society. He basically talks, he, he basically gives the
0: elevator pitch for watching Are You Afraid of the Dark? He says what I said earlier, which is like, you get to be scared, and then when it's done, you get to go home and be back in your normal life, and everything is okay. It's like a safe way to experience fear. And
1: I thought that was like very sort of meta and I enjoyed it. And that scene, I'll just throw it out there, is beautifully shot. I love the wide shot of him yes. on the boat. Anyway, you'd think this is the end of the episode. No, no. We cut to Adam, the, uh, the Dykus character. It's the next day and Adam <laughs> is out walking his dog through the woods when suddenly he, he stops at the end of a trail and sees the carnival is in town. Holy shit. Adam's dog runs away and he chases after it into the carnival. Later, we see the dog come back. No, Adam. He has vanished. Uh, at school, the kids learn that Adam has gone min- missing. Kid's name is Adam Lynch. All these kids are named after after horror directors. Uh, mm-hmm. But but the teacher says, there is some good news. Even though their classmate has disappeared, uh, they are yeah. <laughs> all given free tickets to the Carnival of Doom, which are just handed out to every student in, in the school. Uh, All of the kids recognize how fucked up this is.
0: They all get worried and share nervous glances. Rachel looks out the window and crawling on the window is a scorpion. I don't think scorpions can crawl on glass, but okay. I I have in my notes here, there's a scorpion on the window. Can they do that? (laughs) I don't think they can do that, but it's fine. Like, this is clearly a magic scorpion. I don't think there are scorpions in, in, what is it, Oregon? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's whatever.
1: Um, you would think this is the end. We hard cut to Mr. Top Hat, who gives us one cryptic final warning, and then this is what we hear. <laughs> <laughs> you will notice it is not a rock and awesome theme song. It is not a funky ass theme song. Eli, what, what is this?
0: Do you, I, do you know what this song is? Can we look this song up? Like, do you have
1: the lyrics? Uh, I well, I don't have the lyrics on hand, but I can tell you that the lyrics, uh, basically tell the events of this episode, uh, word for word. It's something like something about new town, if new you're... locker, and then I joined the midnight society and told them the tale of Mister Top Hat.
0: <laughs> yeah, I did hear the, the where they part where they referenced the top hat. My question is like, if you're rebooting a '90s show. And you're recapping the show in the ending credits song. How did you miss the memo that this is supposed to be a wrap?
1: Where the fuck is Will Smith?
0: Where is Will Smith? Or like, fucking, who did the one for uh, Ghostbusters 2? (laughs) Oh, Bobby Brown. Yeah, get Bobby Brown. Don't get get Bobby Bobby Brown. Don't get Bobby Brown, but... (laughs) Well, I fucking love that song when I was a kid. Did you know that?
1: No, I don't think anyone loved oh, that man. song
0: when, as a kid. When I was a kid, I loved the rap from Ghostbusters too.
1: Is that is that one
0: on our own? Uh, yeah, yeah. It has the lyrics. They had to throw a party for a bunch of children while all all the while slime was under the building. <laughs> perfectly
1: written, perfectly delivered. Anyway, do we get this, this <laughs> Lord or Billie Eilish-esque song to close us out? Indie-ass theme song. Full disclosure, I loved this song. And anyway, <laughs> finally, that concludes uh, part one of this trilogy of terror submitted for approval. But yeah, Eli, uh, there's obviously a lot to unpack here, and we've gone over most of it, but uh, what did you think of this first part of the Are You Afraid of the Dark revival?
0: I loved it. I thought it was great. I was shocked how much I liked it because I was very apprehensive about this entire endeavor. Um, but yeah, you know, I think I've kind of given you my primary complaints already. I've sort of already told you what I thought was wrong with it, which was just like some sort of stilted character moments. Um, just some quick observations that we can blow through. Well, we'll blow through the quick observations in
1: a second. What did you think of it? I loved it. Uh, I, like you, I enjoyed this a lot more than I expected to. I was going into this, not with low expectations, because, you know, with most reboots these days, the creators are, are you know, you know they're going to pay a certain amount of fealty to the source material. I knew we were going to get a lot of stuff that we recognized, but I ended up really liking it almost everything about this especially like i said the whole like induction process into the midnight society i thought that was a stroke of genius very inspired and and so fucking cool it makes me wish that we were young again so we could start our own midnight society and do that same thing uh i mean i am going to point out we did like
0: make you wander around in the woods oh when yes. we were kids and we did make you put a bag over your head and like we did a lot of this shit. <laughs> we we did make a cloth map with cryptic symbols. So this was this really like struck a nerve for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. It makes you wonder if someone we knew was 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 developing this show for us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, I yeah, I thoroughly I, I, enjoyed this. I liked all I like all the members of this new Midnight Society. You talked about how some of them are are not as fleshed out as others. We didn't go into super great detail about all of them, but I think they're all given like just enough. Personality traits to make them kind of interesting. My one
0: complaint is uh, in Akiko's scene where she is directing a zombie movie. I I thought back to our conversation with DJ McHale where he talked about how the goal with Nickelodeon stuff in the early days was to make the kids feel real. And Akiko's scene did not feel like a real kid. Even when Rachel was doing her Mister Top Hat drawing, I was like, as a, I was thinking to myself, as a kid. Who just ignored teachers in class and drew weird pictures for the entirety of his freshman year of high school? I definitely know that's not what that go- how that goes, but um, fine. And I suspended my disbelief in that moment. And then the Akiko scene, I was like, okay, so we've just thrown the whole real kid thing out the window. Well, who says she who still- says a
1: teenage girl can't direct a zombie
0: movie? It was just it was a much more modern Nickelodeon scene where it's like goofy and over the top and unrealistic. Like, she is incredibly dry and deadpan, um, and everything around her is really bombastic, and it's sort of this over-the-top joke. The good news is, it's a good joke. Like, a kid tries to hand her a coffee, and she literally just slaps it as hard as she can. And her brother, who is a police officer, complains about the explosions, and she's like, those were minor pyrotechnics. And then there's, like, an enormous Muppet-style explosion of confetti, (laughs) and she doesn't blink. So... It was not what I was expecting, but the good news is it was still very good, so I'm not going to fault it for that. So, like, all of my complaints about this are so minor. And, yeah, all of the characters, even if they're not realistic, are very fun.
1: And, yeah, I think tonally it got everything right. I mean, you had those bits of of comedy there you know, in the first third of the episode, but then from there on out, it's... We're going to crazy town, and... And yeah, this this just exceeded all my expectations. This was almost everything you could ask for in a modern reinterpretation of *Are You Afraid of the Dark*? And just speaking as a a guy who runs who operates a camera for a living, this whole thing is gorgeously shot. Shockingly,
0: gorgeously shot. There are so many scenes. Like I just have notes. That we kind of, we, you know, we, we've had to go through this quickly because it's a long episode. But I just have note after note after note about the cinematography and the framing shots that are upside down, shots that are sideways, shots that are overhead, shots that are in a garbage can, fisheye lenses, Dutch angles, dramatic Not as many Dutch it's... angles this
1: time around. I feel like maybe those are not in vogue anymore. Um, but yeah, I completely agree. Does that mean we need to ask the question for this? The 92nd time.
0: So really quickly, let me blow through some notes that we didn't get to just as fast as I can. Okay. Um, number one, when she is answering all of the questions that are hidden in her locker, the second one, she has to like write her answer and then put it in a lunchbox that's hidden under the bleachers. When she goes to do that, there is a shot of Gavin sitting on the bleachers. There's no other person in that scene, but Gavin is there. And this episode actually makes Gavin being a member of the midnight society, a twist. They really do. I think, want you to think that it's Adam. Uh, and she guesses that it's Adam, but I really loved that Gavin was there in that moment. It's a cool little piece of detail, like a cool little detail. Um,
1: this whole episode is fun to watch and repeat viewings and, and pick up small things like yeah. that. I thought that same thing too.
0: Absolutely. I, I love all of the little small details. Um, Um, I heard a rumor online that the name of the school that they go to is Herbert West High School, which is, of course, the name of the main character in uh, HP Lovecraft's Reanimator. We do see Rachel reading a collection of stories by HP Lovecraft, so it is, I totally believe, I I, I couldn't see it myself, but someone said online in the comments that it was called Herbert West High School, so uh, I hope that that is true. If anyone can tell me where that came from. Please do. I'm very curious about it. Um, final observation that I want to make is, in my head canon, Adam's dog that he takes for a walk is the dog from the opening scene of Goosebumps. Prove me wrong.
1: <laughs> I can't prove you wrong. <laughs> and, and that makes it uh, true. Yeah, I think that...
0: <laughs> It's a cinematic universe waiting to happen. That is going to be the twist at the end. Is that like R.L. Stein is going to come out, uh, Samuel L. Jackson style, <laughs> and be like, "Y'all kids giving each other goosebumps," and then a mashup of the two theme songs will play, and it will be like, "Goosebumps will return next fall."
1: Also, an observation you pointed out to me that has also been making the rounds online: the mom oh, yeah, and her story. Yeah. Is actually played by series regular. Laura Bertram. I say regular. She appeared in two episodes. Uh, What was her name? Laura Bertram. Uh, You described her to me as the original Zeb from the Tale of the Lonely Ghost. So Laura Bertram
0: was the main character, Amanda, in the Tale of the Lonely Ghost in season one of Are You Afraid of the Dark? She was also in the Tale of the Mystical Mirror or Magic Mirror or whatever. But yeah, she was the first person to ever be called a Zeb. And she plays the (laughs) mom in Rachel's story. (laughs) <laughs> the first but not the last because tonight Cheyenne and I rechristened our pets our cat Murphy is now Mr. Top Hat and our dog Bert is now Zebo the Clown <laughs> for the entire month of October their names have been changed a la Snoop Lion <laughs>
1: <laughs> that is awesome
0: <laughs> so with all of that nonsense out of the way I think you were trying to ask a question
1: let's let's ask the question here for episode 92 Eli, you scared of this?
0: Dykus, yes. Yes, I am. Uh, I could actually have nightmares about this movie. Like, it has a dude who's got his eyes gouged out and the eyelids stitched shut in a, like, creepy-ass Coraline way.
1: That's enough. Period. Full stop. I will concur. I was indeed scared of this. Uh, this, this again, hit just the right sweet spot of scariness for me. They went as far as I expected them to, maybe a little bit further with that live scorpion eating. Uh, no, this was... I was scared of this. Good on you, Nickelodeon and the people who developed this. Yeah, uh, although important to note, DJ uh, McHale, our main man, and uh, what's the other guy's name? Ned Candle. Ned Candle. And Ned Candle are serving as executive producers, so they do have some yeah, saying good this. for them uh
0: so yeah this is scary this is good there is a preview for the next episode the first episode is on youtube i actually you know like when we would watch the old episodes i wasn't saying hey go out and watch this one but y'all go out and watch this like seriously watch this it's good Now that you um, can do it it's legally. 45- <laughs> yeah you, you can watch this episode legally it's like 45 minutes long it's it's like dumb enough that you don't have to play pay close attention to it if you don't want to you can like fold some laundry or something while you're watching it but
1: like watch this it's good and now the final closing outro theme let's hear it <laughs> I want to touch on really quickly as we as we chart a path to these next few episodes. They really hammer home the line in this episode that it's all part of the show. It's all part of the show. Don't be afraid. I hope this isn't going in the direction of where I think it might be going. You think it's like a meta thing? <laughs> I think this, would be, we are heading into meta territory. And I really hope that we don't head into that territory because that feels like a cheap way out. But look- I
0: think that it's, it's their way of telling you, guys, we've already greenlit this as a series, and
1: this is all part of the show. <laughs> that is possible. But. <laughs> Next week, we'll be back to review part two of this anthology. It's going to be titled Opening Night, and again, I'm going to this totally cold turkey, no preview. I'm excited to see what happens from here.
0: And then on the 25th, is the final episode, so a few days after that, we will have uh, our final episode, we swear to god, our actual final episode as as two party people, yes, The Tale of Destroy All Top
1: Hats. A title which I, I'm gonna gush about it when we get to it again, but as a kaiju fan, fucking love that title. <laughs> so with all of that
0: out of the way, uh, I'm gonna just grab this old ass bucket here the water is still there my god it's rusty and i'm gonna declare this episode of you scared of this closed